And welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and with me in the studio today is Ken Thompson. And our guest today is Dr. Tim Hawkes, OAM, headmaster of Australia's oldest independent school, the King's School at Parramatta in Sydney, and the author of 10 books, including his latest one, the one we're going to speak about today, 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager. Tim, welcome to the program. It's lovely to be with Dads on the Air. Thank you. Uh, Tim, uh, in addition to those uh, 10 books, has got a an enormous range of awards and qualifications we can read about on our website. I think it's too long to read here. In your new book, it's called 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager. Your previous book was 10 Conversations You Must Have With Your Son, and this is your 10th book. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, uh, it, it, there's something about 10, isn't it? But uh, there you go. It's, it's a number which most people can understand. Uh, and I, if I go to 11, I've got to take my shoes and socks off to count. So uh, that's why I go to 10. And um, the, these books, uh, 10 Conversations You Must Have With Your Son and 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach your teenager will be part of a trilogy. So there's going to be yet one more, be very scared, and, uh, <laughs> which will bear the title 10 in it. Well, that's, we'll look forward to that. So, yeah, I wondered if there was any uh, connection with the Ten Commandments. That's another famous ten. <laughs> well, yes, and some, so, some were suggesting I should do a countdown, and my next book should be a nine, and then the one after that, eight and seven, <laughs> six, you know, and then the last one's got to be blast off or something like that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Tim, the world is crying out for good leaders, so it, it's very timely that you've uh, produced this work. And I'm very interested in the concept you raise of a servant-hearted leader. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that. Well, Bill, uh, leadership, in, in my view, is a somewhat ambivalent virtue. I mean, uh, leadership can be associated with great and noble things and innovation and change and great courage, and, but also leadership can be associated with power, privilege and position, which, of course, is, is often something which is hankered for, particularly in a postmodern age, which is often fairly narcissistic and egocentric. Uh, and therefore, uh, we've got to be very careful uh, about teaching leadership because we certainly do not want to refine the young in their hopes and ambitions to have people, hot and cold servants running around after them and, and you know, presumption of, of privilege and, and power and, and, and position. But what we, what we really do need, uh, however, are young people who are prepared not just to watch life drift by, but to get engaged. Uh, I had a lovely letter the other day bill from um, a member of the public because one of my boys at Circular Key here in Sydney, where the King School is, um, this gentleman had fallen over and he was a Down syndrome mm. and he was very badly hurt and uh, all the crowd scattered and, and, uh, and there was a Kingsman left and it was this Kingsman who, who basically picked the boy up, got an ambulance and uh, rendered first aid organize the crowd uh, to give assistance uh, and it's that sort of courage to get involved and engaged that we want we certainly want that sort of leadership but the other sort of leadership too is this as you said this servant-hearted leadership which is really all about essentially uh, using one's gifts and abilities not just to enhance and enrich oneself but to enhance and enrich others and I guess it's very much a form of leadership which is enshrined in the Christian tradition. We had Jesus Christ washing the feet of his disciples and so on. And so uh, in this Judeo-Christian culture in which we live, we feel that this is a great model of leadership to promote. 
And you must have great confidence in your students there because certainly anyone in a King's uniform is going to stand out. <laughs> yes, yes, for those who don't know, Bill, Bill's referring to the King's school uniform. We look like the lost remnant of Napoleon's army. <laughs> Our boys wear a sort of a grey jacket with red, red cuffs and, uh, and uh, with they dark blue pants with a, with a stripe down the side. And uh, we do look, uh, as I say, a bit like, a bit rather Napoleonic. <laughs> Uh, and so I've never had the the, the the joy, Bill, of being able to say when people complain about my boys, and sometimes that does happen, I've never been able to say, are you sure it was a Kingsman? Uh, <laughs> no. We certainly do stand out. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, I wonder if you could just sum up for us, what, what does it mean in your thinking to be a leader? Yes, well, I think you are a leader if somebody else is following, uh, and that's going to disqualify quite a lot of politicians. And... Um, mm. But uh, you are a leader if somebody else is following. And I think, essentially, uh, leadership is often, is often confused with management. And uh, management tends to be more to do with the head. Leadership is often more to do with the heart. Management is often about preserving the status quo, whereas leadership is often about disturbing with new possibilities. Um, leadership involves and includes a certain sense of, of, of charisma, a certain sense where... where um, what you do uh, impacts others uh, in, in, a, in a way um, that, if done well and appropriately, uh, is generative. And uh, leadership is, is also choosing to be engaged in, and as I said before, not to, not to be afflicted with the disease of spectatoritis watching from the sidelines, but rather uh, leadership is about being engaged. And I suppose very much the term that... Uh, that comes to mind, I had a stint in the, in the, in the reserves in the British Army as, a, as an officer, and it, it's about often command and control. It's having that capacity to have good command and good control. And, of course, that command and control is not necessarily over others to start with. I think that, that what we need to try and encourage is good command and control over oneself. So if one is indeed afflicted with, you know, addictions, gaming or pornography, is a growing problem amongst many, particularly boys then you haven't got good command and control of your life. If, if you are wasting your time on the, on the, on the trivial and, and insignificant, you haven't got good command and control of your life. If, if you are uh, given to um, uh, an inability to control mood and emotion, you're not in good command and control of your life. Uh, if you are susceptible to, to depression and, and have a little resilience to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, then you're not in good control of your life. And so, so much about leadership starts, I think, with the proper leadership and command and control of oneself. And when one's mastered that, then you're in a position to exercise command and control and leadership options on others. Yeah, and a question I need to ask you as a, an educator and uh, the principal of King's School and the author of this book, is leadership, in your view, born or learned? Well, that's a great question, Bill, and, and I, it is interesting. There's no question that uh, genetics does play a part. Um, you've only got to look at some of the great leadership families, you know, the Churchills and the Mountbattens and so on and so forth and the Kennedys, uh, to recognise that the spiral helix of life, um, the gift of genetics, does play a part. Uh, and there's no question that, therefore, one has to choose one's parents carefully. Thereafter, however, it needs to be recognised that as well as, uh, as nature and whatever is given, if you like, through, through genetics, there is nurture and, and the environment in which one grows up and, and uh, matures. Nurture and training uh, can also be a powerful influence on developing leaders. 
And the general formula from the research that I've undertaken and, uh, and, and, and people's findings on this does vary, but on average, people are generally saying that probably between a third and a half of one's leadership skills and, uh, are inherited, but therefore that means that between two-thirds and a half can be taught. And I think that's so important to remember that these things can be taught because if you don't believe they can be taught, then you, can, you lapse into the stupor of fatalism. You sort of say, well, I can't do anything to change the situation, to, to develop this person's leadership skills, uh, or indeed even my own. Uh, and of course, I think that's a very fatalistic and even nihilistic form of thinking, and we need to avoid that form of thinking and recognise that indeed it, with proper training, and I guess that's one of the reasons why I wrote 10 leadership lessons you must teach your teenager, uh, that with proper training, particularly from, from the home, where I think the major trainers in this area need to be the parents, uh, we can indeed develop significant and very, very important leadership skills in our sons and our daughters. So a great reason to read this book, 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager. And we're speaking with Dr. Tim Hawkes, OAM, Headmaster of the King's School Parramatta in Sydney. And uh, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to take a short musical break. We're going to listen to a song by James Taylor called You've Got a Friend.
You've Got a Friend by James Taylor and we're speaking today with Dr Tim Hawkes, OAM, Headmaster of the King's School of Parramatta in Sydney and the author of 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager. So Tim, um, we were just talking about uh, whether leadership can be learned or is it born, but uh, can anyone be a leader all the time do you think? No, and uh, I think it's really very, very important that we also teach the virtues and indeed the joys of followership. And it is very, very important that um, we recognize that there, for everything there is a season under heaven, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, but also a time to lead and a time to follow. Uh, and um, it, it is, um, can I just say, I might well be the leader of the King School, but when I get home, trust me, there is a very different power situation operating and uh, it is Jane my wife who's just gorgeous and she is the one who definitely leads uh, in, in, in the home and and, um, com- and has great command and control of what happens in the home thankfully because I've, I've usually spent most of my emotional energy at work and I'm just so blessed in that regard but so I, I think it's very very important f- for everyone to recognize that everyone is a leader everyone is a leader now everyone has a strength everyone has some sort of a gift uh, which they can employ not only for the enrichment of themselves but for the blessing of others. Everyone has something. And back in 1983, uh, Howard Gardner wrote a book called Frames of Mind, uh, in which he argued that there wasn't just one form of intelligence but multiple forms of intelligence and ability. You can be able and intelligent in, uh, in sport. You can be in maths or in English, in languages. Uh, it can be in interpersonal skills. It, it can be in a whole range of different areas. And I absolutely, as an educator, you know, and as headmaster here at King's, I can absolutely attest to that. And every one of my boys as, uh, here at King's, and I would say when every student I've, I've ever met, they have got a strength in at least one area. And that is the gift they've been given, uh, where they might be able to lead and be an impact upon not only themselves but on society. So everyone has a capacity to be a leader at some stage. Now, there's no question that some are given an, an even increased capacity where they may well be gifted in a number of areas and in particularly a number of particularly important areas such as interpersonal skills, the capacity to cause others to follow, uh, to give confidence to others, to have that charisma uh, that, which causes others to respect and want to identify uh, and to be with. Um, those sorts of gifts uh, sometimes do take a little bit of nurturing and training and indeed they can be taught. There's no question of that. So yes, I think that everybody though in life needs at times to, to recognize that they have a gift. It is a gift that they won't necessarily employ all the time. 
and that there are going to be many, many significant moments of their life when in fact they will need to be, have the humility to recognise that this is a time where I need to be a team member or indeed even this is a time where I need to be a follower and to have that humility and if you like again that, that servant-heartedness to, to actually work behind the scenes backstage rather than you know doing magnificent things uh, under the limelight. Uh, in your book you steer people towards the, the, the good qualities of leadership but uh, there is an ugly side of leadership, and I, I wonder sometimes if that's part of the, the bullying culture that seems to be so prevalent at the moment. Well, I think that's true. I, I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager is that, as you mentioned uh, quite properly at the beginning of this program, that, that there was an absolute hunger, I think, throughout the world for authentic leadership. And I think we are, we are let down at a macro level, often by politicians who are often pursuing short-term popularism, uh, at the expense of principled and courageous leadership. And I think that has very much come into focus with this recent federal election uh, that we've had. At the meso level, if you like, at the middle level, I, I, I sometimes despair at the lack of leadership found sometimes in some families. We have some, you know, too many, I think, of our young uh, where, where, where the parents have gone absent and um, where the meaningful interaction between parents and teenagers can be measured sometimes in even seconds a day and with those same teenagers are spending between two to five hours a day uh, on the net on social networking sites and so on and so one can quite reasonably and properly ask you know who is it that is raising the child are their parents the cyber world and social networking sites and peers or indeed are their parents indeed their absolute parents from a biological perspective and i think we are often need to look at ourselves, and I say this to myself as a parent, you know, to what extent uh, am I being faithful and effective as a leader and an as effective parent? And then, of course, we have problems with, with a lack of leadership at the micro level where you have many people who are absolutely beset by, by addictions and by weaknesses because they haven't taken enough command and control of themselves. So at the macro, meso and micro level, we are often, we, we are probably meeting with far too many examples of failed leadership and for this reason we, we need to teach and I think give greater attention to the topic of leadership and not least yes to, to help deal with these, these, these sorts of problems as you mentioned like bullying. And I think from reading your book it would give parents the confidence to know how to deal with bullying because it is such a difficult problem and you, you raise then the new form of bullying this cyber bullying which is perhaps hard for the, our generation to understand how you could be bullied by uh, something written on a screen, but it's very real, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. I mean, bullying is usually about a, uh, an abuse of power. It's about a power imbalance. It can express itself in so many ways. It, it can be a sexual assault right the way through to um, often social bullying, exclusion, hate recruitment, uh, freezing out, these sorts of things. Then there can be physical bullying of, you know, beating people up, etc., and, and, and physical intimidation and, and threats, uh, and right the way through to cyberbullying, which is where uh, a person demeaned uh, and humiliated. And the trouble, of course, with the cyber world is that you, you could post, for example, an inappropriate photograph, etc., and sometimes even if you do it under the anonymity of a pseudonym or using an avatar of some sort to disguise your real identity, uh, the reality is that anything put in the cyber world is never private. Any identity that is assumed is never totally effective in obscuring who the, who the real person is. And it usually takes the police between two to five minutes to find it, to break through who people really are on the net. 
And, of course, once you've posted something on the net, it's there potentially forever. Mm. Be very scared. Forever. So that something posted in anger and on an impulse at some stage can return even years later to haunt you when you're going for a promotion position in your company or whatever. Or you can turn up and be found by your life partner or whatever. And um, this can be a very, very damaging. And, of course, cyberbullying is also illegal. It is absolutely legal. People can go to jail even from the age of 10 onwards. So it is something which we need uh, to, to take very, very seriously, particularly issues like sexting. Uh, where one is taking revealing photographs or, or in receipt of revealing photographs uh, of a sexual nature uh, and, and put using a, a carriage service uh, such as the Internet or whatever to distribute those images. Uh, and that is a very, very serious crime which can lead to a person being charged, uh, being put on a sexual offenders list and having all forms of other restrictions placed on their, li uh, on their life. That is a, a dreadful, dreadful outcome to inflict upon a young person when it was done in ignorance and stupidity. So, yes, we do need to inform our teenagers, even our junior munchkins and meaty bites of a younger age, uh, that the very real uh, bruises that can be caused by the cyber world, as well as recognising the very real blessings that are to be had from it. Do you think this is a factor why, generally speaking, the trends seem to be that boys are falling behind girls in education? Is this, is this part of that? Uh, the interesting thing is that in the contemporary Western world, a, the, a primacy is placed on literacy skills. And so if you're bad at maths, you're bad at maths and perhaps won't do terribly well in physics. But if you're bad in writing, and then you're going to be bad at English, history, geography, economics, and, a whole, and the list can, could go on. And given that, and this is a generalisation, I want to acknowledge that, but, but given that traditionally uh, girls are stronger in the literacy areas and, and many boys are, are stronger in the math spatial area, and, and given that the current weight of Mark is disproportionately pushed towards the, the humanities and to literacy skills, girls are certainly outperforming boys. And indeed, in some of our universities, you know, we're now getting the, the percentage of, of, of men in, or boys or males at universities, you know, dropping down to about 25%. That's, that's some university. More typically, it, it's usually 38% or something like that in, in Australian universities. But I think boys, and I love being the headmaster of a boys' school. I'm, I just, it's been an enormous privilege, me being the headmaster here at the King's School in, in North Parramatta. And, you know, we've got about 1,700 boys, just a little under, and um, from K to 12, and, and they give me a great deal of energy and delight. But there is a science, a, a definite science and a trick to educating boys. You've got to awaken their sense of inquiry. You've got to pose a question or a conundrum um, so that you have the boy chasing knowledge rather than knowledge trying to chase the boy. And there are a whole range of other tricks that, that you've got to use and employ to keep boys engaged with learning. But once you learn these tricks and you, you can indeed employ them, I've generally found that boys can absolutely flourish uh, within an, an academic learning environment. Well, there's a, a very good tip, part of what you'll pick up from this new book, 10 Leadership Lessons You Must Teach Your Teenager. Tim Hawkes, it's such a fascinating topic. We could talk for a long time, but uh, we reached this part of the program where we ask our guests to pick a song. I wonder if you could tell us a, an appropriate song for us to play. Well, I think being a schoolie and having chalk dust in my veins, it's, it's got to be Cat Stevens. And remember the days in the old school yard, surely. That's the only one we can play. Remember the days at the old school yard We used 
And that was Remember the Days of the Old Schoolyard by Cat Stevens. Uh, don't forget, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and send us an email and we'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show again with our special guest, Dr. Tim Hawkes, or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So it just remains for me now to uh, give a very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Tim Hawkes. Thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you for your kind words, and uh, we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air.